This episode of The How of Car Washing is brought to you by No Pileups. No Pileups is the first of its kind car wash enhancement service that protects your entire tunnel from expensive collisions. No Pileups also provides valuable data on your site performance so you can lower cost and increase production. Learn how you can get free months of service by visiting nopileups.com forward slash how. You can also visit the show notes page for this episode at thehowofcarwashing.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is Henry Lopez. Today, I've got a great repeat guest. I'm excited to have Diane Gardner back on the show. Diane, welcome. Hey, Fanry. I'm so excited about being on your program today. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, my pleasure. Great to have you back. It's going to be a good conversation, a actionable conversation, which are the type we'd like. Uh, but for those of you who may not recall, because it's been a while, Diane is a certified tax coach, accountant, business coach, and an author. Her expertise lies in the area of tax planning. And her goal, as she states it, is to make, make sure successful entrepreneurs across the U.S. are paying the least amount of income tax that they can legally pay. I think that that needs to be, as a business owner, something that we mitigate, that we focus on. We want to pay our legal share, but we don't want to overpay. Nobody does. Uh, as a tax coach, she offers a free tax analysis, and we'll come back to that uh, for those interested in finding out if they are overpaying for their income taxes. So listen, and if you think any of these things that we talk about, you need to learn more. Diane is your resource, and she can help you regardless of where you are in the United States. Uh, her goal is to save taxes one business at a time through the use of her proactive tax planning approach. Uh, she's an author, as I mentioned. Diane is the best-selling author of several books, including Stand Apart, which uh, featured Dan Kennedy, 10 Most Expensive task mis Tax Mistakes That Cost You Thousands, why didn't my CPA tell me that? It's often a question we all ask ourselves. So let's dive into it. Lots has changed, or lots of changes every year for that matter, but certainly recent tax changes have impact on small business owners. And you know what I've found for myself and for my clients is not only are we challenged with knowing what it was, but keeping up to date on what has changed. And we get understandably busy on running our businesses and growing our businesses. This is not what we do for a living for most of us. So it's so important, and we'll talk about it throughout this conversation, to get the right help on this. But uh, where do you want to start at a high level? What, what are some of the big items that you think we should talk about as it relates to changes that impact small business owners? One of the biggest things I've noticed because I, I talk with entrepreneurs all over the U.S. is that most accountants aren't talking about the changes in the new tax law. I think they're just finally starting to wrap their heads around it themselves because they had their heads down during tax season. And now they're taking some continuing education classes and they're starting to get it figured out. But very few are calling their clients in and sitting down with them and really helping them understand how the changes in this new law is going to affect them on their business and their personal tax returns. And I think the accounting in 
profession is really doing a disservice to the business community out there by them not being proactive. How do you avoid that? Is it is it because you don't focus on tax return preparation? How how do you how, how are you able to process and learn and then be able to explain these changes to your clients so much faster? Well, I belong to a very small group of elite accountants across the country, and we jumped into it in the middle of January, just as soon as they first started releasing things and started taking classes and listening to webinars and attending seminars. In fact, we meet quarterly across the U.S. uh, so that we can get together and we can run case studies by each other and that type of thing, because we are leading the charge in making sure this information is out there so the business owners can grab the valuable nuggets out of it and have time to implement it and make changes and take advantage of how this new law can help them and also then be aware of some things that we lost in the new law. So how do I do that? I just make it happen because I'm such a firm believer on being proactive and not sitting back and just reacting, but being proactive and helping to lead the charge in this. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and I think part of it, you know, a lot of CPAs get bogged down and heads down in tax season and, and mm-hmm. simply don't have the bandwidth to go and dive into what's changed and what's the impact, right? Right. In fact, when I came right out of tax season, I started doing seminars mm-hmm. and did two of them from my own clients, recorded a webinar for my own clients because I have clients all across the U.S. and put it out there for them so they'd have a chance to listen so that back in early May, they were hearing the changes of the new tax law. And we've had several meetings and discussions and phone calls and Zoom calls and all kinds of stuff with people mm-hmm. as a result of that so that they're prepared and they know yeah. how to, to make it work you know, the best that they can. All right. So tell me, uh, let's start with the C-Corporation tax rate changes. Tell me the pros and the cons to summarize that for us at a high level. You bet. It's been approximately 31 years since we've had a major tax overhaul like we have right now. I believe I was just graduating from college the last time this happened. And I was such a newbie in the tax field that I didn't know anything any different. Just went along with the new stuff. So this is kind of fun for me. So Mm -hmm. for C-Corps, one of the biggest changes of all is the change in their in their tax rate structure. In the past, under the old law, C-Corp started at 35% for their tax rate, and they went as high as 50%, depending on what their income levels were. And that was painful. So in my own practice, I had just a handful of C-Corps because that was a much higher rate than what they could pay on a personal return by using a pass-through entity like an S-Corp or something along those lines. And so now our C-Corps are capped at 21%. Doesn't matter how much income they have, 21%. So that was a humongous win for those who are operating as a C-Corp. And it also put us in a better position to be able to compete on a more global basis. And I think that's going to bring a lot of business back to the U.S., that had gone to the other countries to escape our high tax rates. And so that should really continue to help strengthen our economy even more. I know my my clients who are C-Corps are ecstatic about gaining that much ground on their tax rates. Yeah. And before we continue here, Diane, also, I want to make sure we disclaim that uh, I'm not a CPA. You're not anybody who's listening, not that we know of, they're personal CPA. So we're, we're right. sharing generalities, facts about the tax law, interpretations, but everybody listening before you would make any kind of decision based on what we talk about, you need to consult with your own CPA or tax attorney. 
Yes, most um, definitely. Having said that, uh, so on the C Corp, is, is, it, is it such that now, and again, every case is different, you're leaning more towards a C Corp than an LLC? Not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Under the new tax law, we have what is called a qualified business income deduction that we've never had before. So you're going to hear the, the term QBI. QBI, QBI, everybody's, you know, in my world is talking about it. And this is a brand new deduction that works for all the pass-through entities. So it's going to work for your S-Corps, your single member LLCs, your partnerships, your general partnerships. It's going to help them take advantage of that tax rate drop that we just talked about for C-Corps. And in theory, it's going to pass it through to their personal return and allow them to have their business income taxed much lower rate than it was previously. Now, I'm, I'm really oversimplifying this because I don't want to get into the real technical nuts and bolts of it because it's a very complicated calculation. But in theory, you would take the net profit of the business and you would multiply it times 20%. And then you would take that number as a de added deduction on your personal tax return which will then lower your overall business income and give you that lower tax rate on the business income side. Now, the good news is that Congress decided that rental income will qualify as business income, even though it's considered passive, it will still qualify. So that was huge in the investment world where people with various rental properties and stuff that they get to participate in this particular deduction. Mm -hmm. Bad news is professionals, people who, who offer professional services, your accountants, your attorneys, your business coaches, your doctors, your any of the fields that have that's based on your expertise, as opposed to a more generic product or service or something. There's limit, there's income limitations, that if you exceed those income limitations, then you're not eligible to use this new QBI deduction. And there's a, there's a whole you know, group of rules around those that get pretty complicated and very confusing. So if you're in that category and currently under an LLC, then it not, certainly is a conversation to have with your CPA about possibly changing entity type? Possibly. Or we've, we've taken a look at several different types of businesses. And sometimes I will find within a I'll use the example of a medical office that in reality, yes, they do offer medical, but they might also have a whole little area where they're selling supplements and they're selling other miscellaneous products or something that really isn't anything to do with somebody's professional abilities. And so sometimes we're able to split that off into a second business and that other particular business could potentially qualify for the QBI deduction. I see. Okay. So there's some real planning opportunities there, but not to be taken lightly. There's a lot of work and a lot of analysis to be done to, to make sure that it would qualify. Now to flip that, other than those professional type services, from what I'm hearing, typically and by and large, I should not be rushing to go and switch out of an LLC to a C-Corp to gain the tax advantage. It sounds like with the QBI, again, every case is different. I'm going to get some of those same benefits. Is that fair? In theory, yes. 
Yes. And the, but we want to run an analysis, you know, before anybody would, would make a major change, especially if you're going to go from something like an, an LLC or an S corp over to a C corp, because those so, changes so, are not to be taken lightly. Right. So, I mean, the bottom line is that right now, after these changes, I should be revisiting either with you or another tax professional or my own or both to see if it does make change, makes sense to change my entity. Is that, is that fair? Correct. Yes. 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 It's no longer just something we're going to take for granted. We're going to really revisit and and want to have those discussions. Right. You know, one of the things I always uh, push back sometimes I get as well, I don't want to go through the expense or headache of that. Summarize for me just at a high level. Is that, is it cost prohibitive or is it not? You know, how, how difficult is it if I'm in an LLC right now, and I want to switch because it makes sense after analysis to switch to a C corp. How difficult is that? It depends on which state you're in because every state does it differently. But for the most part, it's not that difficult and it's not that expensive. It is an investment, but it's not a huge investment. And if you were looking at long-term tax savings, you would be able to recoup that investment over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And it would make it then you know, a, a good decision to go ahead and do, but you okay. want to run that full analysis and see what's going to happen under these new laws. Right. Right. Okay. Great. All right. So we've talked about that. We've talked about the QBI or the qualified business income deduction. Tell me about depreciation and what has changed there. Depreciation is exciting because we, we gained a lot of ground in the depreciation area. We now have a hundred percent expensing, which means that equipment that you purchased this year can be written off at a hundred percent without having to use up our section 179, which is pretty exciting for most business people. In the past, we had depreciation and we had section 179. Depreciation would be how you would write off an asset over the IRS's table of its estimated life. So it's either a three, a five, a seven, sometimes it's a 15 year. If it was real property, it could be 27 and a half or 39 years. And you had to use their years, their table, you did it their way. And we did have some bonus depreciation the last several years, but now we have 100% expensing, which is basically just write it all off the first year. Now, the caveat is that if you are out there purchasing a bunch of equipment and you've got some five-year equipment and some seven-year equipment, and you decide that, let's say you bought three pieces in each category, but your net profit was to the point you only wanted to take 100% depreciation on two of those three pieces in one of the categories, you wouldn't be able to do that. It's an all or nothing. So you'd in, have in the to- category. Within the category. Yes, okay. you'd have to look at your five-year property and decide, okay, I'm good at taking 100% depreciation on all three pieces, but maybe my seven-year property, I'm not able to absorb it. So then we would use our Section 179 deduction that we've always had, and maybe we take one item out of that seven-year property and do Section 179 on it and let the rest just depreciate out normally. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, right there, what it means is you got to do some planning on this, but a tremendous opportunity for a small business owner, then regardless of the amount. So if I've had, I mean, typically the way I've understood it before is you kind of set a a threshold that is your practice. For for me, it's always usually been about a a $500 level. Anything above that, we're going to categorize as an asset. Anything below that 
is an expense. But now, regardless of the amount, if it makes sense for me, I can take a 100% deduction uh, as long as I do everything within that category. Am I understanding it correctly? Right, right. And I believe that the top ceiling on that amount is like 25 million is huge. Okay, yeah. So which huge is something for, your small yeah. business owner is never going <laughs> to yeah. get. So, right, exactly. right. right. Um, now, but again, as we just touched on, you do have to do some planning to make sure that it makes sense to take all of that in a particular year. Is that fair? You bet. Yes. Because if we've done an analysis and a projection and we're anticipating you're in a pretty high growth mode and that income's moving up, it might not make sense to take 100% depreciation on something this year. Mm -hmm. It might make more sense to elect out of that option, take it at the normal regular depreciation rates and pick it up next year because we anticipate the net income to be considerably higher. So it just kind of depends on Every business has a different scenario and it's something you really want to have that conversation with, with your tax preparer to determine when is, when does it make sense to utilize this? When doesn't? And what are the repercussions if I, you know, if I decide, you know, later, oops, this wasn't a good move. Can I go back and undo it or not? Some of those kinds of things too. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. All right. Great. All right. Uh, Meals and entertainment is always a hot one. So what has changed there that I need to be aware of? It is. And this is one where we lost some things on it. In the under the old tax law, we had business meals, which were 50 percent deductible. And then we had business entertainment. It might be taking customers or clients to a theater, to a sports event, on a fishing trip. Um, those kinds of things, golfing, any of that kind of stuff fell into the business entertainment. Well, under the new tax law, we lost business entertainment. So we know for sure that that is not deductible. The exact wording of the law says that business meals are not deductible, but there has been some new information that came out just in the last couple weeks that maybe they really didn't intend it to say that. And so we're pretty sure that business meals are going to be okay by the end of the year. So they'll still be 50% deductible. And then we also have a new category called employee meals. Employee meals is if you buy lunch for your staff or your out on a job site and you have sandwiches brought in or something along those lines. We want to track those separately because they are a different category under the new tax law. So we basically have three types of meals. We have your business meals. We have your travel meals, which are still deductible. So we want to track those separately. And then your employee meals, which are also deductible, but at a different rate. So it makes the bookkeeping a little bit harder because we have three different kinds of meals now instead of two. But it's worth it, you know, to be able to take advantage of these, what we still have under the new tax law. Okay. Bunch of questions here. The employee meals, is is that separation? Is that meaning that it's considered a benefit to the employee or not? It's considered a, it's a benefit that's not taxable to the employee. It's still, yeah, still, still deductible to the employer, but not taxable to the employee. Okay, good. So there's not that change there. Uh, On meals then, Certainly for this year, we should continue to document that just like we should be documenting them always. And we'll have further clarification by the time we have to file for 2018. Is that what I'm understanding? Right. Yes. But be sure and keep your travel meals separate from the business meals, at least until we get that further clarification. Okay. So it's, it's the, it's not the travel meals that are in question. If I'm on a business trip that those meals are still clearly deductible. 
It's if I go out to have coffee or lunch locally and meet with a prospect or whatever, that's mm-hmm. what's in question? Yes, that's the piece that's in okay. question. We're, we're, okay. we're pretty sure it's going to be okay, but just because we're not positive positive, we're tracking them separately. So travel meals, you're away from home overnight. Got it. Okay. That's a good clarification. Yeah. Entertainment again is, you know, I might take a client to a baseball game or some other kind of an event. Um, that is clearly no longer deductible. Uh, but if I take someone out to dinner and it's that, that falls into that category that we're not sure about yet. Right. Correct. Right. Okay. But the entertainment part is definitely no longer definitely deductible. And I've got some pretty uh, disappointed clients over that one. Oh yeah. It's a big deal. That's a big Big deal. deal. Yes. This episode of the How a Car Washing is brought to you by No Pileups. Collisions are a real problem that every operator has to deal with. We push cars further apart, slow down chain speeds, and even put employees in the tunnel to look out for hopped rollers. And no matter what we do, we have to choose. Do we take a chance with our customer's vehicle to wash more cars? Now there's a better solution, one that doesn't trade production for safety. No Pileups is a new type of anti-collision service that protects your whole tunnel without slowing things down. Computer vision technology detects accidents before they happen and stops the conveyor automatically, keeping any pileups from ruining a good day. No Pileups doesn't just lower claims costs, it's so fast and reliable you can reduce your conveyor downtime and increase output during peak times of the day up to 20 more cars per hour. Your employees can focus on washing cars instead of worrying about collisions while your customers enjoy spotless service every time. Visit nopileups.com forward slash how to learn how you can receive free months of no pileups just for being a How of Car Washing listener. You can also find the link at our website, thehowofcarwashing.com. No pileups. Wash more, worry less. How are clients dealing with that? Uh, is there, are there any strategies, any approaches that you've seen that are creative in that way? Not, not in breaking the law, but, but how are people managing that now? I'm seeing less entertainment being done just because they know that they can't write it off. I do have one of my clients who has always taken his top customers, four or five of them, to Alaska on a fishing trip every year. And he told me, he says, well, I guess it's coming out of my pocket this year and not the business. He says, because I can't disappoint them and not take them. And I think you might see a few people kind of going that route because it's worth the added business they're going to get down the road that they'll just, you know, take it personally. I think others are kind of scaling back what they did for entertainment, before, you know, previously. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next year or two what the ripple effect of that is. Going with that example, I take somebody to Alaska. I can I still I can still write off the meals that I buy them during that trip, or no? I'm thinking probably not because it's not a business trip. It was totally pleasure, right? Okay. You know, so I don't know. We're we're hoping for some little bit more clear guidance on that as we come into the, you know, the second half of the year or the last four months of the year or whatever, that we'll get a little bit better guidance on it and we'll know a little bit better how to advise people Mm -hmm. in those types of areas. 
Yeah. So I got to think this is kind of a little bit off the subject, but uh, interesting to me. I got to think that, you know, larger corporations in particular, but even small business owners that might own season tickets to a sporting mm-hmm. uh, venue and use that to entertain clients, that that no longer is deductible either then, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking they're going to get some pushback from it and that might change things. Who knows? Okay. You know, the lobby right. is pretty powerful at times. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And as always the case with sweeping changes of any kind, there's adjustments that then get made over time. And so that's why we have to stay on top of it or we need our CPA or a tax advisor to stay on top of it. Right. 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 And don't just rely on the stuff that you hear out in the mainstream media because they'll pick up a sentence or two totally out of context and start talking about it. And they really don't know necessarily how it fits in the overall scheme of things, but they're talking away about it. And there was so much of that going on back in January. And I had some clients calling me all the time, ah, panic. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay. This is what it really means, or this is what they really intended to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And as, as I always say, these are things we have some gains some losses, but at the end of the day, if we've got a good business and we go about running it the right way, we're, we're, we can still make money. It's, it's okay. Right. You bet. All right. Uh, talk to me about, you, you also talk about shifting income to other family members. What strategies exist for us there now? This has been a favorite one of mine, especially for business owners who might have maybe college age student, high school age, you know, students that are their children. And it's been a, always been a great way for the child to earn money to help put them through, uh, whether it be college or might be helping them to pay for certain things they like to do, like maybe football camp or basketball camp or horse camp or, you know, something along those lines, you can pay for those extras through your business instead of paying for it out of your pocket. And so this one's been a favorite and it actually got a nice little boost through the new tax law simply because under the new tax law, they basically doubled the standard deduction. So what was $6,350 is now $12,000. So in theory, we could pay more to a child for a longer period of time during the course of the year and have them be able to take that money tax-free. I see. So that was kind of a nice little plus that we didn't see coming when we first heard the initial numbers and stuff of the new tax law. We were like, oh, no, what's it going to do? And it came out. It's like, hey, that was pretty cool. So nice little, yeah, nice little way, especially if you've got that high school to college age student that's home, you know, working or they're working every weekend and then maybe during the summer for your business or something, you can, you could, you know, put, push a decent amount of money down the pipeline to somebody who's at the zero or 10% tax bracket, which you're probably not, you know, you're much higher at that bracket yourself. Mm -hmm. So a nice little planning strategy that got even better with the new tax law. Good, good. That's a good one. All right. And the last one I wanted to dive into that I know you've been talking about is uh, management companies. And how does how does that can how could I consider a management company structure to benefit me? Management companies, I see them a lot with clients who own real estate, they might own several pieces of real estate, and they would set up a management company to manage that real estate so that they could take a salary and have active versus passive income to offset something else maybe on their tax return. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a nice little planning tool, but I also see it in the case where I've got clients that might have three or four or five different businesses setting up a management company. And now because of this QBI deduction and the way wages comes into that whole formula that I totally oversimplified earlier, we want to take a look at, is this management company a nice planning area for us or maybe it doesn't work as well in this particular situation Hmm. but in it in theory it should be able to generate some additional um, qbi deduction for us yeah that's something it definitely applies to me and my co-host david begin because as you alluded to we own multiple llc's for all of our different businesses And so, and we've looked at that model in the past. You're saying now it could make better sense from a tax perspective if we did, I use the term, roll those up to a corporation, I'm assuming you're saying, and there might be some additional benefits there from a tax perspective. Am I understanding that right? Correct. Yes. Benefits that weren't there previously. So it's time to go back and revisit that management company concept that maybe we looked at it a couple of years back, two or three years back and said, eh, it really doesn't pencil out. Go back and look at it again now, because now it just might okay. with the new QBI deduction. Great so tip. things trying to you know, stay on top of things that people kind of forget about because it yeah. didn't work in their particular situation previously. Absolutely. Great tip. Great takeaway. I made a note of that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> all right. So, so overall, I, I, obviously, you, you speak with a lot of clients. You have a lot of clients. What are some of those common things that you continue to see small businesses miss out on? Not the specifics like we just talked about, but just generally. I know one of them, one of the big ones for you is planning and we kind of touched on that is that still the biggest thing that you see small business owners not doing well is the overall planning for taxes most definitely they get so busy running their business and a lot of times they get so busy working in their business that they don't work on their business and they're maybe they're running shorthanded they can't find the staff that they need and taxes because it's not a favorite subject to anybody, kind of gets to the bottom of the to-do list and I think it stays there. And so they're not thinking that that they really can make a difference to their t- final tax return outcome by putting in some planning or partnering up with somebody who can help them with that planning and running out all these different scenarios. What if we set up a management company? What if we, we you know, looked at changing an entity type? What if we put a parent to work in your business, a child to work in your business? What if we looked at your depreciation schedule a little differently this year than we've done in the past? There's so many different what ifs. What if we looked at some retirement planning that maybe you hadn't thought about before because it didn't make sense before and now it does? just so many of those areas that they're that's not even on their radar because they're just too busy running their business trying to take care of their their customers and their clients and do a good job for them yeah absolutely so so dan if the typical certainly what i observe the typical way of doing this is i interact with my cpa once a year when i send them all my stuff or they download my quickbooks data and they prepare my taxes and i'm sure for most people it's like my experience that's that's the time when my cpa has the least amount of time for me and so they they send me an email that it's done and i sign whatever it needs to be signed and it gets submitted right that's that's the typical 
minimum. What what do you recommend my year should look like from a tax planning perspective? Like what are what are those events and when and whom should I be meeting with? Right. Okay. If you were one of my tax planning clients, we would have a meeting probably May or June as I've come out of tax season and got my head back up and my brain's all thinking again and stuff. And in that meeting, we would be talking about what are your goals for this year? Where are you headed? uh, Any new service offerings, any new businesses you're going to be starting, all those kind of stuff. So I can be tracking right along with you. And then we would be looking at preparing a customized plan based on that knowledge and information. Then once that plan was in place, then I would want to meet again with you sometime usually in the fall, depending on how the business cycles, whether that's September, October, November, sometime in that range. And then we kind of compare, okay, here's what we thought was going to happen. Here's what actually happened. What kind of minor adjustments do we need to make so that at tax time, Yes, you're sending the information. We're getting the tax return done. The results are what you expected or even better because we've had these conversations and we knew what was going to happen. And you're happy. You're thrilled. You're telling all your successful business owners that you hang out with that, hey, you got to go use my gal because this is what she does for you instead of the other scenario. And it's completely, totally night and day difference. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so that leads me into, obviously, I can gather some of it, but uh, summarize for me the services that you do offer in the area of tax planning. Well, my my main service is proactive tax planning, where we actually will do a free tax analysis for somebody. We'll take a look at those last two to three years tax returns. And then we hop on either a phone or a Zoom or sometimes a Skype call and actually have some conversation. This is what I saw on your tax returns when I was taking a look at it. I usually have a list of questions for them. Here again, I find out what some of their dreams and goals and desires are. And we determine if they're a fit to move forward to that next step of creating that customized tax plan. And as we're recording this, it is the pushing into the end of August. So I'm excited because in just a little over a week, tax planning season starts. That's usually the first part of September. As the kids are headed back to school, we're able to get in front of a lot of people and make a huge difference in their life by setting up these plans and then helping them implement the plan so that come tax time, their tax bill is usually thousands of dollars less than what it normally would be. I see the average tax savings for most of my clients is somewhere between five and about $50,000. And that's huge on a, on a small business owner. Absolutely. And again, it's that uh, it's besides the money, which is a big part of it. It's that peace of mind of knowing that we're doing everything we can to put our business in the best position possible to generate the profit that we deserve to, to get out of it so that we can continue to invest so we can continue to grow our business that's what we should be doing. We should not be throwing away money and paying taxes unnecessarily. Right, right. Uh, I always say, to, oh, go ahead. To your point that that mm-hmm. we often bury this, we ignore this because it's one of those things that it's it's negative. We don't want to talk about it. It's not something we're focused on. And so we leave it as an afterthought at best. You bet. Yes. Yeah. I always say we all need to pay our fair share to be able to have the services that we have, but there's nothing in there that says you need to leave the IRS a big giant tip. 
that's, that's right. what no, it, so many people are doing because they just, they don't realize that they can plan their way to a lower liability. And I've had clients, Henry, who have paid down their debt, gotten themselves and their business completely debt-free. I've had clients who have built their dream home with their tax savings over the course of a few years. I've had client buy a commercial building, totally debt-free on that building after about four years of tax savings. So it's pretty fun for me to get to see what people do with this extra money that they were already sending to the government that they didn't need to. So let's put it back to work for you and help it uh, help you accomplish whatever your goals are. Agreed. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. Great stuff there. Thanks for all of those actionable tips. Uh, books, though, we, we're both a big readers. What uh, There's a book that you would recommend that you've read recently or in the past. Well, one of my favorite authors is Mike Michalowicz, and a lot of people have not heard about him. One of his first books that caught my attention is his book, Profit First. And he turns the accounting world on its end in that particular book. We all know that sales minus expenses equals profits. Well, he says, how about if we took sales minus profit equals expenses mm -hmm. and we're able to plan our way to a higher profit margin in our business because we've been able to control our expenses. So I read that book and said, I want to be on board. So became a certified profit first professional. So now I add profit planning to my tax planning services. He's also got a wonderful book called The Pumpkin Plan where he helps you determine what is the area of your business you should be putting the most focus on. And then he has a brand new book that just released today called Clockwork, where it says it helps you to design your business to run itself. And how many of us would love to have a business that will just run itself? So he's a, a very, one of my very favorite authors. Yeah, great recommendations. I have read Profit First and it. It's interesting because it's such a seemingly simple idea but once you really apply it, that's now how I do a lot of budgeting is by calculating. It's got to be realistic, right? But what is mm -hmm. what is my profit, realistic profit that I'm targeting for next year? And essentially, you're working backwards, backwards. to what should all of the rest of the budget numbers look like, right? You bet. Um, yes. It, again, it seems simple, but it's not usually how we go about planning. No, it takes a real mindset shift to be able to embrace his philosophy in that book and then actually implement it and apply it in your life. Yeah, I love it. We'll have uh, the links to all of those books as well as to Diane's books on the show notes page to this episode. You can just search for Diane Gardner and her show notes page for this episode and her previous episode will come up. Lots of good information there. All right, last two questions for you, Diane. Uh, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had as it relates to the impact of the tax law changes on a small business owner? This is the one time, if you've never done it before, get together with either your accountant, your tax preparer, one of us who are certified tax coaches, myself, somebody, and sit down and have the conversation. Don't just coast in through tax season and get a really big surprise when your tax return is done this year. Spend that time you know, sit down and, and have the, the conversation. Some of them are going to be tough conversations because of, you know, the effects of the new law. But have those conversations and come into tax season being prepared and ready and know what's going to happen and, and be able to utilize this new law to help you plan your way to a lower liability. Love it. Well said. 
Diane, as always, that's why I was excited to have you back on the show. Great, actionable stuff. Uh, I've I've learned a couple things, uh, sparks a couple of conversations. I'm hoping it does the same for our listeners that they start to ask some questions. This is one of those topics where, you know, what, what you're trying to do is to get people to just start this conversation, have these conversations, have them with your tax preparer. If they're not the right person, call Diane. But it's about not ignoring this, like you said, and ending up in tax season. And then it's a, it's a little too late to make the right changes. So thanks for your time again. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and for being back on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I really have enjoyed our conversation today. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to this episode. This is Henry Lopez. My guest again was Diane Gardner. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of our show. And thanks to our show sponsor, No Pileups, the collision avoidance solution for your car wash. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.